Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past and present and to acknowledge that this land was stolen, that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show... We showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. My guest today is a compulsive gambler who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, I'd like to welcome Robert back to the show again. Hi, Robert. Hi, Bill. Uh, Robert, we were privileged to have you on the show about 12 months ago in 2022. So we have some more of your GA recovery to catch up on. But usually we do a bit of a, an in-depth look at your recovery in GA later in the show. And first, do you want to share a bit about your early life and how you got into gambling? Yep, sure, no worries. For me, uh, my early life was, was pretty good. You know, there was no drama. School was fine. Got on with, you know, everyone at school, uh, like playing sports, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, school life was sort of all right. And in Year 10, I left and went and got an apprenticeship and all that sort of stuff was right. I had the usual breakups with, with girls and that sort of stuff and and um, those sort of issues, but there was no real sort of issues. No no gambling history in the family. You know, everything was, was normal. And then I guess as far as the gambling side goes, um, like a lot of people, it started off as social. And going out with friends, uh, you know, friends, family, you know, go to a club and have a meal, and you might go and, you know, put a small wager in the in the in the machines, you know. But um, gradually that grew as I found it a, a great way of hiding from from life and my problems and the baggage I had been carrying, you know. Um, sort of just step back a little bit um, during my apprenticeship. Once I finished my apprenticeship. Um, I decided to go off and get into the hotel industry um, and there were just sort of issues there. And I guess um, the same goes in the industry. If you're a, you know, you're a pub manager or something, you're either an alcoholic or a gambler, you know, because yeah. you're just exposed to it and around to it the whole time. So unfortunately for me, yeah, I became the gambler. So, um you know, and again, it wasn't anything really majorly, um, but then slowly, yeah, it just got worse and worse. So, to a point that, you know, I looked at, I would try to commit suicide a couple of times just because I thought that was the only way out. So, yeah. You know, the amount of, a considerable amount of debt, but it was just all the, the background stuff, the lying, cheating, um, sleepless nights all that sort of stuff that just took its toll. Yeah. Um, do you want to go back to your early life and just talk about, you know, what sort of a kid you were and 
Yep. You know, how you got on with other people and, you know, were you sort of a friendly kid? Yeah, yeah, no, I was always a friendly kid. Always someone that people came to and talked to about their problems. During my recovery and doing the steps and sort of looking into it more, I um, noticed or resurfaced that in my childhood I was very compulsive um, yeah. and a bad loser and a worse, worse winner, you know. Um, I had to win, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, whether it be ball games or, or anything else that other people, you know, had won the ball game, say Monopoly, for instance. I wasn't joyful for them. I was resentful because I lost. You know, so there were, I, you know, I have noticed that compulsive trait since my childhood. You know, yeah. So, okay. You also mentioned um, sort of lying and stuff like that. So, how did how did that develop as a kid? Well, we just well, that was more once I sort of got in adult life. Um, as a kid, as a kid, wasn't really. I, I was sort of brought up to be as honest as you possibly could, you know, not saying an angel, not saying I never lied, but, you know, it was nowhere near the extent that once I got into my teens and early 20s and in the full swing of gambling with the lies that came with covering the addiction, you know, and covering why I had no money and why I needed to borrow money and stuff like that, so. Yeah. Do you want to talk about those early days about how you funded your um, your gambling? Yeah, well, um, in the early days, it was, yeah, start off with just my wage and, you know, quite often it'll be paid Thursday afternoon and then Thursday night it'll be broke. So then, you know, it'll be that mad scramble of who who I borrowed off, who I had to pay, pay back and who I could borrow off. Um, and then there was a frequent visits to um, a cash converse or a hock shop um, to either loan yeah, items, personal items off to, to, to get a, a cash advance or sell them. But even then again, you know, and that, and that initially was just to try and survive the rest of the week. But as all compulsive gamblers do, once the money was in my hands, the scheming got in and was like, how much do I, how much can I get away with to get through the week and how much can I then use to go and gamble? So, um, you know. It must be a pretty rough life having no money as a, as a you know, young young person. Oh, it was. You know, like I, I've lost a couple of friends, friends through the gambling because they just got sick and tired of me borrowing money off them or me come up with excuses and not going out because I didn't have the money, you know, like they might be going to a nightclub or going to go see a band or something and I'd always have some excuse not to go, you know, or not to have the money money to go, you know. Yeah. So as well as the stress of, you know, trying to squeeze every last drop out of the fuel tank to get to and from work. Yeah. You know, I had it down to a fine art that, you know, it was just I would roll into a service station and then the car would conk out at the petrol pump, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a rough way to live, isn't it? It is. Oh, it is, you know, um, as well as the stress on it, like just that stress of living and not being able to pay for bills or, or you know, buy birthday presents or Christmas presents or stuff like that, you know, it is 
certainly things I don't miss, you know. So So what did your parents think about this? I guess you were in your sort of late teens, early 20s at this time. Yep. So what did they think? They knew, like family knew that there was a problem there because the character changed, you know, from a caring person who was always around. Yeah. You know, to a person who was never around and constantly dodging people, you know, constantly borrowing money off people. So they had a sense that there was a problem there. It wasn't until, you know, they confronted me about it one day and I came clean that the extent of the gambling became known to them. I think part of it was that they, in a sense, didn't want to know because they didn't know how to handle or what to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. Yeah. So it was sort of more, you know, more or less, you know, see someone about it, you know, sort of thing. So. Did did you see someone? Yeah. um, Look, initially, you know, I tried all the other things, you know, tried gambler's help, uh, tried just cancelling, which neither neither seemed to to work. I would have brief stints off gambling, but it never stuck. And I'm not going to say that those things never worked because if they never worked, they wouldn't be there. Um, I just don't think I was ready at that stage yeah. um, and fully committed to to stopping gambling. You know, um, I just wanted to take the heat off myself, you know, um, please, please the family and friends saying, yeah, yeah, I'm getting help, you know, and, that sort of thing, or, yeah, no, I tried that, but it didn't work and then went back to gambling, you know. It wasn't until a few, like I said, a second attempt at suicide and I thought, well, no, I really need to and went and spoke to my my pastor about it and he said, well, is this program, maybe contact AA or something like that, maybe they know someone you could talk to. So I um, ran up the AA hotline and they said, well, Sounds like you've got a gambling problem. You need to contact GA. So and that's what I did. So, right. So, how old were you when you first contacted GA? Um, I was about 22, 23. Right. And what did you think of GA initially? Uh, initially, yeah, I wasn't convinced because being a young person, I walked in a room full of older people, um, you know. 20, you know, 20, 30 years older than me sort of thing and all seem to have cross addictions, you know, with alcohol and, and gambling or had been through multiple marriages and lost multiple houses, which at that stage I hadn't done. I'd racked up a reasonable amount of debt, but I hadn't lost anything because I was still living at home, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. So I saw for, well, I don't know if this applies to me, you know. So, um, did you see any similarities at that point? I I did see some, yeah. You know, like they said, you know, the the cheating and lying and being broke all the time and stuff like that. Um, that sort of, I could see that, but you know, then I probably the gambling, gambling protection, gambling may kicked in. It's like, well. You haven't lost those other things, so you're not as bad. Yeah, yeah, not yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, did GA initially have any impact on you at all? 
It's not personally, no. It's sort of, as I said, it was great to use it and say, well, you know, this is what I'm doing. But then, you know, I would still, in the background, I would have relapses because I wasn't fully committed for myself, you know. Yeah. Um, I was more doing it to please other people. But uh, like I said, eventually, eventually, you know, I kept going in the meetings, but, you know, it'll be the same thing, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then have a bad day and be in the pub and, you know, without thinking of the consequences, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I just need, you know, I, got, I can place a bet, you know, I've deserved it, I've been good, I've earned this money, you know, I can control it, you know, in, you know, going to GA sort of thing. But, you know, as I said, I was doing bits and pieces that pleased me and I felt, and I felt, felt, felt comfortable and easy with, but I wasn't fully committed to the program, you know. Yeah. So, so what sort of gambling was your preference? Just purely poker machines. Okay. Um, you know, like like sort of eighteen and a half years abstinence now. Um, initially I'd lived in New South Wales before moving to Victoria, so my initial introduction was in New South Wales, and I had six seven years up there as well. Um, so twenty five odd years ago, there really wasn't this this online sports betting it was sort of mainly the TAB and, and poker machines and and the casinos. So that was it. But, you know, it was just the poker machines. Like I sort of looked at, at, at the TAB as, as a mugs game. You know, that can be rigged. The trainers can do certain things to the animals, you know, to the dogs or the horses and and manipulate the outcome, you know, but the poker machines were totally legit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what I kept telling myself, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's it's hard to uh, hard to accept that they're actually rigged against you. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so, yeah, that that was it, you know. Um, it's still funny enough. Like when I was working in the in the industry, I would see people, you know, compulsive gambling on the TAB and think, you know, wow, you know. Can't you do something better, you know, maybe you should go and get help, you know. But little did I know that, you know, a short time later, I'd be in the exact same position but just, just a different poison, you know, just yeah. poker yeah. machine. So. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. Yep. Um, our first song is Buy a Champagne Jacket and the song is called Cicero, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Do you remember that August night round the embers of the fire? We used to be so good together. You took my hand and we laughed until we cried. But Sarah, it ain't good for you when I ask you to come over. Cause I'll never pay back the favor. So before you went away, I wrote a note on a cigarette paper. And I ain't seen you ever since But Sarah, will you be gone for long? Oh Sarah, yeah I'm sorry that I disappointed you Waking up on my secondhand sofa In a crowded town of Nicky Browns and Mogarets I was staring at the screen all night You don't have to sleep 
might have heard about the Community Radio Plus app, but it's only when you start using it that you'll wonder how you lived without it. You can listen to us wherever you are, at home, work, driving, on public transport, gardening, protesting, or even in the bath. Just search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your app. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices, Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free. Welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone and email. Today I'm talking with Robert and we're talking about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. 
So, Robert, before the break, you said you got into GA, but you were gambling on and off. So how long did it take you to sort of take GA seriously and address your gambling addiction? It probably took about uh, 12 months because it was, as I mentioned earlier, it was just short periods, but then that second suicide attempt come up and it's, you know, because in that, that frame of mind thinking of like, well, yeah, nothing's working, you know, I don't know what to do and, and trap, you know, everyone would be better if I wasn't here sort of line of thinking. Yeah. But something in my mind triggered and I ran a, one of the numbers I'd gotten from one of the meetings um, and spoke to this person and had told him what had just happened and stuff. So he said, well, here's my address, come over for a coffee, we need to have a chat, you know. Yeah. So, which I did, you know, and it sat there with him and his wife and we had a good talk and it's like, well, you need to make a decision, you know. You either take GA seriously and do exactly what it says or, you know, are you going to fail at a third attempt, you know. So he said, what's it going to take? What's your, your rock bottom, you know. So I said, no, no, I think I'm, I think I'm ready now because, as I said, it pretty much scared me, um, you know, so said to him, because I'd known him him from one of the meetings I was attended, so I sort of asked him if he would be a sponsor. So he said, well, prove to me you're committed. Go off and do 90 meetings in 90 days. You do that, then I'll think about it, So, which is what I did. And then, yeah, he became my sponsor and still is to this day. So Right, yeah. So what was it then about going to 90 meetings in 90 days that – allowed you to accept GA as a as a way out? I think it was that commitment and uh, I think I really went into that with a different approach of I sat and listened rather than, than spoke to what I thought they wanted to hear, you know? Yeah. And sort of really listened to it, as you, you mentioned before, started picking up more on the similarities rather than the differences and, you know, just the support, you know, putting the extra F effort in myself, I noticed re reaped rewards back, you know. Yeah. You know, and sort of like that 90 minutes and 90 days, I hadn't didn't place a bet. So it sort of showed me, you know, meetings, phone calls, um, help will help me in my recovery you know so then it was that um commitment personally then to give up the punt and you know try and Lord go back to a normal way of life because in that 30 in that 90 days was the best 90 days for many many years because you know because <laughs> i wasn't punting yeah there wasn't the the lying and the cheating um it wasn't being broke, you know, even though I was paying, uh, you know, I'd sat down and worked out a payment scheme to pay all the, all the all my debts back. So I still had some money left over, even though it wasn't a lot. Even a little bit of money I had left over, I could save. You know, it sort of, you know, that sort of being, you know, getting serious with it paved the way that it could be done um, and I could do it, you know. So, and, and I guess just, just, taught me uh, just some principles and some um, good habits, you know, of, of staying off the punt, you know, so. Yeah. 
So what was it like to have a bit of money after not having money for so long? Uh, yeah, like, uh, I get, yeah, it was just this total, total relief, you know, not having to, not having to worry about it and, you know, not having to worry about, you know, getting to work, paying the, paying the, paying the bills, having money to friends, you know, ran up and said, let's go out or, you know, catch up with friends, you know, catch up with friends and, and, you know, wanted to buy a coffee or something. I could actually buy the coffee and and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah and enjoy it, or go to a pub without without um, poker machines, and you know actually get into a a round of buying drinks with people rather than no 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 you, you know I always stuck to myself and then I have a couple of drinks and then that's it oh you know I got to work tomorrow morning so I'm not getting drunk you know and what sort you know again the lies but not having to do that you know so. Uh, what about work? Did work improve as you um, as you stopped gambling? Yes, because I could then concentrate on work, and it wasn't that that constant uh, mind spinning during work. You know, as to as I mentioned before, who I borrowed from, who could I borrow from, and where could I get money from, and the anxious feeling of getting through the work day so I could race back to the pub and and try and win back the money I'd lost the night before. <laughs> You know, stuff like that, you know. So my mind was constantly racing during work and, you know, it did affect my, my work. So even there, you know, once I sort of committed to it after that sort of 90 days, you know, that work um, sort of scenario improved because I could just concentrate on work, you know. Um, my mind was a lot clearer, you know, so I could think a lot better and reason a lot better and, not fly off the handle at the shortest at the littlest thing because my yeah again my mind was racing so my nerves were on on tender hook you know yeah did you ever borrow from work uh, um one of my yeah one of the places I did yes borrow stole I guess it's a fine line um when I was in doing the night managering uh, out in the hotel game I was doing the night managering. And each of the managers had a float. Yeah. So you could buy patrons drinks, stuff like that to, to build up morale. Well, I decided that, you know, that was mine. It wasn't the pubs because, you know, they said I could use it for that. So it's all it's mine. So instead of buying drinks for patrons, I was using it to pay bets while I was working. I was supposed to be working. So. Right. So was that easy to conceal? Uh, at, at the beginning, yeah, you know, until you know, I'd gone through, gone through my allowance, and then thought, well, okay, I'll I'll use this, I'll use the other manager's allowance, and when I win it, I'll just put it back. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't, and then because I was broke, I couldn't put it back. And then he came in the next morning, and his his float was was pretty much almost gone so when I came in the following night he called me office to have a chat about it and asked about it and I said oh, I have no idea and he said that like he said I've been told by people that you know you sit and gamble a lot during work and after work so he said just just be honest you know so 
So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll use it for that. But, you know, you said it was for us to use for discretion. You know? And he goes, yeah, not for your own personal gambling, you know. <laughs> so so was that was that the end of that job? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he pretty much said that. And he said, don't bother about trying to apply. Because understandably, I'd broken his trust and then hurt him because he was a friend as well. Yeah. So it sort of hurt him. So he's like, yeah, you know. Don't worry about doing the shift. He said, you know, I'm laying you off. He said, and don't bother looking in any of the hotels in the area because I'll be letting them know. You know, he said, you need you need to go and get help, you know, so. So did you go and get help because of that or not? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, coming from, it's all from him, you know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, yeah, even though I'd done the wrong thing, uh, and, and now I can admit to it. Then I couldn't, and it was like, yeah, resentment. Had, again, you know, resentment had kicked in. It was always someone else's fault, you know, and I was it was always poor me. So, yeah, resentment kicked in, so I didn't, you know. Um, so. About how long were you gambling for, do you reckon? It wasn't that long a period. Um, probably, like, uh, problem game was probably over like uh, an eight to ten year period. Yeah. You know, so again, you know, in the initial part, you know, as I mentioned before, with walking into all those people older than me and losing their houses and stuff, similar thing. They were talking 20, 30 years. Yeah. Gambling, you know, and I'm like, well, yeah. Haven't done that yet. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So once you started recovery in GA, did your family notice that you'd changed back? Some things, yeah, and some some other things they noticed that it was different again, but it was good different, you know, or better different. Yeah. So, but, yeah, they, they noticed the difference because, you know, I was around, around a lot more, you know, I was going back to family functions and staying for the majority, majority of it instead of coming for an hour and a half and then making some excuse to, to leave. You know, being around and and stuff, you know, so um, answering answering the phone calls and stuff like that, you know, so. Yeah. So did you ever tell them about your problem gambling and how where it took you? Yeah. Mum, um, I did. I, I sort of sat down um, and, you know, sort of, you know, again, like sort of, had told them about it and and didn't hold didn't hold well majority of it I didn't hold hold back I told them pretty much you know ninety eight percent of what happened. Yeah. Uh, well, one of my brothers and sisters I sort of told fully about it and initially because um, but you know we sort of explained it to them and they went yeah a couple of the others just were like yeah look that's your problem you know we're glad you're getting something to do about it hopefully you know. It will help, sort of thing, you know, sort of, you know. So, um, and and like I said, they were all shocked as to the extent of it, you know, as to how far it had gotten. But they all said they knew there was something up, and they knew that it was gambling that had to have something to do with it. But they just didn't realise the extent yeah. that it had gotten to, you know. So. So the other thing we usually talk about is sort of relationships and stuff. So did gambling affect your relationships? 
Yeah, yeah. We've like I said, I lost a couple of friends for it because they just got tired of the of the, the lying and the cheating and and being caught every yeah caught up every so often with me trying to borrow money off them, you know, or chasing me to for the money that I owed them and stuff, you know. As well, yeah, as well as lying and cheating, uh, it affected the family relationships because of the same sort of situation, you know, and that trust, trust that had broken, yeah. um, and then personal relationships, yeah, it affected there as well because of the same thing. We the lying and cheating, and you know, making excuses as to the money, and then the relationship started to get too close. I would sabotage it. So that I didn't have to answer the questions, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's it's sad, isn't it? That you know how much it impacts the life, mm. and still there's the denial that it's a mm. problem. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, so we might take another short break there. Yep. Our second song is by Stephen McCulloch, and it's called Grit. And again, it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Wild wind shook the trees outside our window. Crickets muted by the gale, ring tails with vertigo. When the quiet came, you grabbed my hand And like the warmth that hugs my feet When they feel the sand You've got grit I just wanna lift you up You never quit You're never too far above To hear me when I call I will be your umbrella When the hard rain's falling down I will be your umbrella When the whole world's closing down yeah, I will be around Ragged eyes everywhere Staggered out of the woodwork Battered hearts reaching out To save their nest from the monster When the angels came They were wearing masks And they'd barely risen up out of the ash They've got grit They just want to lift you up They'd never quit They're never too far above To hear you when you call I will be your umbrella When the heart rains fall down. I will be your one 
will be around You've got kids I just want to lift you up You never quit Never too far above to hear us when we call. I will be your umbrella when the hard rain's falling down. I will be. We know you love listening to 3CR, but we also know that many of you haven't downloaded the Community Radio Plus app yet. The app lets you tune in anywhere and share the station with your friends. So, show the love and share the love and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. Radio MMT. The facts about economics. Radio MMT. With Anne and Kev, bringing you fair and balanced reporting. They are bastards, uttering complete bastards, Anne. (laughs) That's right. We're we're really digging into this bastard. It's a smokescreen for corporations to increase their profit margin. All these big lies. Corporate profit and greed. They're considering it in their evil plans. He's the archetype megalomaniac neoliberal. The government pretending to be there for the The people. The neoliberal ethos of squeezing workers. This power struggle is continuously playing out under our very noses. So it's simplistic and it's inaccurate. What kind of an economic recovery? Strategy is Do you reckon that? it's more effective to say it's spurious to say the least or it's bullshit? <laughs> Radio MMT. The second and fourth Friday of each month. Between 5.30 and 6.30pm. Here on 3CR Community Radio. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au and on the Community Radio app. And we're talking with Robert about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So, Robert, before the break, we were talking about, you know, the, the impact on relationships and how gambling impacts, you know, all of your life and all of your relationships. One of the things you, you mentioned was the, the broken trust. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about how you rebuild trust once you get back into GA? Yeah, um, once I sort of got back into, into GA, and took it serious um, and, you know, started attending, like, regularly attending meetings and doing the steps um, with a sponsor and stuff and sort of being more honest in my day-to-day life. A fam- family and, and a few friends that still left could see that difference that GA was having on me and that I was yeah. more honest, you know, I was more available, you know, physically and mentally. So eventually, you know, that trust came back. Uh, it took work and it took a lot of pride swallowing because at times, 
you know, um, you know, I would be reminded of the past um, by by certain people, you know, and, and that was just something I had to wear because I had broken that trust. I had said many a times, "Yeah, I give up," and never did. So, um, I guess in essence, I had to uh, prove it through my actions and staying off the part and regularly attending GA and becoming more involved in it. To, to prove to them that I had changed and I was serious about giving up the punt, so um, giving up gambling. And so, I've, yeah, I guess through, through my actions, you know, that eventually restored restored that trust. So, mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing, isn't it, with, with somebody who's mm. deceived you for a long time, just giving them yeah. that enough trust to... Um, to let give them another chance, it's a it's a big ask for some people. Yes. Yeah. Mm, yeah, definitely. So in GA, Gambles Anonymous, what is it about the steps that helped you to understand, you know, the nature of the nature that gambling had, or the effect that gambling had on you, and being able to address it? I uh, yeah, I guess you know uh, attending the steps and. Uh, and doing them with someone, doing them in depth, just really sort of explored the traits and, and what you become as, as a compulsive gambler, you know, and then addressing those where where I could, um, you know, and and just understanding the disease and understanding the, um, the recovery side of it, you know, and how through fellowship with other people, other compulsive gamblers who have been there and, and were in recovery and listening to them and, and getting advice of them and doing the steps, as I said, with a sponsor who had been, been there and done that as well and was in recovery for many, many years, just sort of encouragement helped me and showed me, you know, how to change the person I had become to the person I am now, you know, um, for basically through the steps and, and the meetings and and service work. So. so did it help you to understand that you weren't a bad person, you just had a you just had a problem that you couldn't control? Yes. Definitely, because a lot of it, yeah, it was. You know, and for for family as well, um, you know, seeing as the person I was growing up as a kid and a teenager to then in my teens get involved in gambling, how I completely changed to a completely opposite person to what I was, you know, and then slowly seeing that coming that that good person or that better person coming back around again through through recovery, you know, definitely again help help that trust. So trust building and and yeah. stuff. So So do you want to talk about Service work, and I, I guess one of the primary ways service work works in GA, like you know AA and others, is through sponsorship. So, do you want to talk about sponsorship and and what that does? Yeah, um, one of the, the biggest things that helped me was yeah, definitely sponsorship uh, and getting a sponsor. You know, go attending meetings and finding that person that I felt that I could relate to and comfortable in, and approaching them. My first two approaches were were those because one, you know, both were already busy, um, and then as I said, the third one was like, yeah, you know, okay, you're gonna be serious. So, 
so just just having that person that person that I was uh, you know confident a hundred percent convicted in that I could call at any time and call about anything and having that arrangement of getting together and and talking about recovery talking about my not so much the past but more more in recovery as well as working through the steps someone who'd already done the steps as I said and had some time up to to then guide me um through the, the steps process and you know working through the steps so you know which which not only showed the the defects of you know and the bad traits from a gambler um but just you know just in general what it caused you know and then how to sort of change that around and make become a more positive on this sort of normal person again you know so um you know having that sponsorship was great getting involved in the fellowship you know doing service work um you know initially greeting at the door and then i was handed the keys one night to 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 lead the meetings while the secretary went away on holidays um they then came back and said it's all yours see you later i'm not coming back (laughs) um so then you know, I was a secretary, been a secretary of the meeting for 16 and a half, or well, 15 and a half years. So, um, you know, again, uh, you know, as well as being involved in GA, um, like the background of GA itself, um, you know, through, through being the group's um, representative, you know, RSO representative, which is like the business side where all the groups get together and talk about GA stuff. Um to, to them taking on a country coordinator, being involved on the phones, all all helped in my recovery, all gave me another bow, another string to not want to go back to punt, you know, not to let, not so much not to let people down, but it's sort of like, well, I've taken on this responsibility, you know. Um, and, yeah, just having that extra responsibility just cemented my, my own recovery, you know. Um, they often say the more you give, the more you get back, you know. So, you know, giving of my time and, and servicing definitely gave me strength and stuff to come back because it gave me more people I knew, more numbers I had in my phone that if I ever needed I could call up, you know, not just people from my own group and my sponsor, you know. Um, yeah. There was people from other groups I met and exchanged numbers, you know. So, so I definitely recommend can recommend you know yeah. anyone's listening to this you know get into service work because it does it does help yeah so do you do you sponsor yourself sponsor someone yes yes so what do you want to sort of talk about that and yeah i mean as i said you know i had i'd been sponsored and and um you know my sponsor one day asked oh, are you sponsoring anyone at the moment i said well there's no one really here to sponsor because for a long period of time it was just me at the meeting by myself, you know, trying to build a meeting up. Yep. And when people did, they were short-lived, just like I was in that at that initial stage. You know, I think yeah, they were there not for the right reasons. Um, you know, at times I sort of took it a little bit personal, and he's like, no, no, as long as you're opening the door and doing the basics of a GA, you're fine. So yeah, um, was approached by by someone and asked, and it wasn't as harsh as my my sponsor. Didn't 
tell them to go off and do 90 days. I just gave them 30 days just to make sure they were serious because I'd just seen so many people walk in and out of, out of the doors, um, which they did. So um, started sponsoring sponsoring them and, you know, going through the steps with them, um, you know, and just encouraging encouraging them, taking their phone calls and whatnot during the week, which, again, it, it's strengthened my own, my own recovery, yeah. Because you know, we in in talking, you know, I was sort of open enough to to accept things from them as well. You know, it's like the teacher can be taught as yeah. well, sort of thing. So I think I got just as much out of getting just as much out of the the relationship, the sponsorship as as the my sponsee. Yeah. That's it. We all we all know something different, don't we? In recovery, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it all helps, yeah. So what's it like to sort of see somebody come in and get the program and, and get better? What, you know, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Oh, it, it's it's probably one of the best feelings and it can be addictive and it can lead you, if you're not careful, to try and... Fast track. <laughs> rule other people's... Yeah, fast track and... Rule other people's yeah. recoveries. You know, you got to. I've got to be constant. You got to constantly remind yourself it's not your recovery. It's them. You're only there to guide them and support them and pick them up and give them a hug, sort of thing, when they need it. You know, and answer the questions if you can. And and sometimes you can't, and that's fine. You both commit to 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 trying to find answers yeah. together. But just to see, yeah, well, that's one of the things that I often say in my meetings. You know, I'm here in the meeting for myself but if by being there and and something i say or just by you know the sheer fact that you know i have got you know eight and a half years abstinence up gives hope to someone well i've done my duty and i've, I've repaid back ga you know because that's what it was like for me when i came there you know seeing people with time up Gave me that that hope and inspired me to to come back the following week because people the other people have done it so maybe I could as well you know if I was hanging around enough so but yeah to see people come in and at times you know it can be people that are at their last straw with their emotions and and stuff like that you know sometimes people break down and in the meetings, you know, and then, you know, within a month to see them smiling and, and joking again and, and see that change in them is really uplifting and humbling and, and pride at the same time, you know. Um, yeah. That, that you know, in some way you're helping it, but that they themselves have committed to it and, and are doing yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Talking about the other side then, the people who come in but don't stay, what, you know, how does that make you feel to, to see people come in who need it but who don't get it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, at you know, I've been around long enough. At, at the early stages, uh, it used to frustrate me and, and, as I said, you know, I was like two and a half years off the punt before I got forcibly um, had to take over, you know, the secretary role or yep. run in a meeting, so to speak. So then, you know, my pride and stuff took a hit when people weren't stay weren't hanging around, you know, for whatever periods they were staying and going for. You know, it was sort of like, is it me? Am I doing it right? And am I not running the meetings right? You know, and again, 
the benefits of having numbers and particular sponsor. A sponsor like, no, you're not doing anything wrong. You open the do- even if you just open the doors and that's all you're doing. Yeah, you're doing nothing wrong. He said, obviously, like you were were in early early stages, just weren't ready yet. You know, he said, or oh, haven't fully grasped the program and recovery that you know it wasn't. It's not them on their own who are doing the recovery. You know, it's the fellowship and the meetings and the tools given by the fellowship that has helped that's helping them in recovery and staying off the pump. You know, so um, and and it's sort of got to a point that you know with the, um, with the serenity prayer we have, you know, um, you know, knowing the things that I can control, um, the things I can't, and knowing the difference, you know, I can't control people coming and going or whether they want to commit and stay. You know, um, experience tends to show me if you're not doing meetings at some point, it it can catch you out. Uh, if people are great. I'm, I'm happy for them. I know myself that something I don't think I could do and I don't want to, to test that or tempt that. So, but, you know, again, one of the tools through, through the JR program, the Serenity Prayers, you know, it's on them. It's not, not me, you know. Um, yeah, it's about acceptance, isn't it? That, that you, you can't, you can't yeah. solve everybody's problems, that's for sure. Yeah. No, that's it. Okay. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Gambles Anonymous, you can phone them in Victoria on 03-9696-6108 or go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information on recovery from compulsive gambling. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Robert for sharing his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how his involvement with Gambles Anonymous has helped in his recovery. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Bill. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the impact of addiction and the recovery journey. Uh, Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we've got a song by Imba, and it is called Travelled, and the song is courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Enjoy.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.